Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, lovely Skylight listeners. Welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series, and I'm your host, Maddie Gobo, the events manager at Skylight Books. Um, We have some great news to share this week. We have reopened our arts annex. So if you were um, lamenting all of those art books and comics and magazines just gathering dust over there, uh, lament no more. They are available for you to take home and make your own. Um, the Arts Annex right now is open every day from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., just like the main store, um, though we are going to be expanding our hours very soon, so just keep an eye on our social media for the latest updates. All right, so today we have a very spooky and season- seasonal conversation I'm really excited about. Um, we're going to be talking about horror films, and this is very on point for me because um, up until pretty recently, I did not watch horror at all, Um, couldn't handle anything scarier than a gremlin, but uh, I don't know, since the pandemic, really, I have gotten way into horror, Um, been watching all kinds of stuff, Jennifer's Body, uh, The Evil Dead, all those things, Um, so I don't know, there's something, there's something to horror that's not just October, but maybe all of 2020. Um, so today I'm really excited to bring these two horror experts on to talk about their new book. Um, today we're hosting Bradford Nordine and Johnny Ray Houston. They are the authors of Because Horror, which is a collection of 13 essays and one poem. It mixes critical writing uh, and memoir to explore horror movies and how they haunt memory. The whole thing was written between August 1st and September 14th, 2020. Um, And it was really uh, an exchange between Houston and Nordine, who live in San Francisco and Los Angeles, respectively. They cover all kinds of fantastic B-movies with titles like Messiah of Evil, Dante's Cove and Scream 4, The Brain That Wouldn't Die, uh, Blood Diner. There's so much good stuff in here. Um, I want to give an official introduction to our guests. So first up, Bradford Nordine is a writer, curator, and founder of the nonprofit organization Dirty Looks, Inc. He has written for Freeze, Art in America, and Butt Magazine, and is a recipient of the 2018 Creative Capital Warhol Foundation Arts Writers Grant. His publications include Fever Pitch, Check Your Vernacular, and four issues of the Dirty Looks volume series. 
For over a decade, Johnny Ray Houston was arts and entertainment editor at the San Francisco Bay Guardian. As a writer, artist, and curator, he has bred or shown work at venues including SF MoMA, Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, SF Camera Work, Artists Television Access, and Second Floor Projects. A book of stories published by Straight to Hell is due in 2021. Bradford and Johnny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It's exciting to be here. Yes, thank you. I'm very excited. Um, so, Bradford, were you going to start us off with a poem, or do you want to give us some context for the collection first? Um, I think maybe I'll just read the poem, um, and then we can we can give a little context. Um, Perfect. And and I can also kind of like talk about how scared I was to write the poem, but we can do that after. I'll just read you the poem, um, which is called "Witch Baby." And it's after Tim Blue goes. <clears throat> to feel safe during lockdown, I downloaded the audiobook of the gay vampire softcore novel that I used to secretly read in junior high study hall, Lost Souls. The, the closer I got to the end of my time with the recording, which I played in the bath or while taking walks, I would shorten my sessions, wanting it all to last. Sometimes things appear when you need them, and Hulu had Dante's Cove one day when I did. The horror soap was made by Here, a failed gay TV station. I remember when the show came out, I couldn't get past the ad art. It was 2005 in Gay Male Desire, a square jaw, blonde, white teeth, cruising you, his left arm braced, flashing bicep, and the dark-haired hunk to his right triangulates the gaze. I didn't see myself in there at all. But soaps use drama to draw you into a community while keeping you at arm's length. Cues came from Queerest Folk, where I was Justin when I needed to be seen in Missouri, and stores still sustained themselves on woven rainbow bracelets. But now I gulped down Dante, which was directed by a man named Sam Irvin every single episode. Only 12, but spread over three seasons. He also wrote its theme song. I was hooked from the very first thump of its tribal beat, dying to be with you, as the wind roared through Tracy Scoggin's hair and her black lips pulled back, her teeth bare, all the tenets of gothic melodrama, all the chins of soap opera all the primed fitness of millennial gaze and an expanse of quarantine time stretched wide before me where I needed this thing, entertainment, to keep me safe with its intrigue and peril, with these impossible bodies that didn't appeal. My friend asked, which one is your type? None. An early sex scene, the camera frames a sweat-curled ass under blue lighting and we take our time here. Then. The ass begins to jiggle inexplicably, a self-aware twerk in this mechanism. And it's soap, so they kill folks off or recast. And it's soap, so the setting shifts between seasons and the frame switches from film to video. My thrill at this discovery of falling head over heels for the thing I rejected as crass 15 years ago and realizing its kinship with the trash lit I cherished 10 before that is accepting the difference between being the subject and the target and finding warmth there. 
The most immersive steps never end, so I was wary to watch the climax of Dante's Cove. Cancellation meant there was never going to be a season four, and I too had to cancel my free subscription to yet another streaming platform, which in and of itself is a vessel. But this weird thing happened, and the conclusion of the story just felt so perfect. In soap, satisfaction isn't meant to be a goal, but a temporary relief from the tumult. Kevin fucks bro while Toby and Adam watch Trapped in the Mirror Realm and Grace is carrying a witch baby. And if I want to make that a metaphor for how this show lives in me now, I can. So that was witch baby. Um, and um, I mean, Johnny, do you want to kind of get things started by talking a little bit about like how we... Uh, how how because horror came to be because it was it was written it all came together in two months yes it was um i think it was a really natural and um i don't know i feel like there was a real natural process and there were a lot of back and forths between us that happened but they were conversational and something that really strikes me about the book is that we ended up have sharing certain themes uh, whether it was um, subjectivity or, you know, our own personal history to some degree to, um, I don't know, our zeal for the horror, you know, film genre. And uh, in some cases, you know, we were writing about movies that we both had a passion for that we wanted, wanted to write about. And even that really fell into place in a way that was, you know, um, completely void of conflict in any kind of way. There was just a lot of mutual support that happened. Um, that's something that I'm really grateful for about this project. Um, yeah, it's for me, um, this is my first time doing kind of a larger book. Um, I'd only really done chapbooks up until this point, and I've always wanted to publish something larger, so I'm very happy about it. And this was initially um, envisioned as a chat book, but we just wrote entirely too much. So then it wasn't a chat book anymore. Well, it's sort of, it's somewhere between Hedy, uh, Hedy O'Colty, who um, became the sort of like erstwhile editor who contributed the artwork and wrote the afterword and laid out the book um, and is the publisher through Semi Text. Uh, uh, he calls it a publication because it's somewhere between a, a chat book and a book and a what is this zine? It's not, it's too sexy to be a zine or like fine to be a zine. Um, but I mean, I also just like, I don't know, there's something to me that I love so much. And maybe, you know, I don't even know if it's legible in the words itself in terms of um, the process of pulling this together. But I, you know, literally, I think we started at the very beginning of August and the thing went out to the world at the beginning of October. And when we started the idea, it really was just created to be this breakneck system for creation. And I was visiting my family in Missouri and um, I just, um, my mom just built a screened in porch and they would go to bed and I would, it, it was in the summer. So I would watch movies on the screened in porch at night. And there was just something really like um, sweet and comfortable and kind of uh, retrospective or reflective or something like that about that space and that kind of 
um, that, that viewer space. And I think, you know, at that time we were talking about things, but we didn't really have an idea exactly of how it would become, but I'm very much a context queen. So all I have to do is sort of like figure out what the context is. And then I just am like, I'm like, like a, a sprint person, sprinter. Do they call that a sprinter? A person who runs. Yes. Um, I just, uh, you know, I don't know. I just took it and ran. I think a lot of, I think both of our, our um, contributions as we were sort of volleying them back and forth were also like, things that we had thought about for a long period. So, some articles were things we'd thought about for a long period of time. Um, I, I know a few of mine were anyway. And then some were really like, oh my God, this thing fell on my lap yesterday. What is it? Like that, that was my final essay. But, you know, I think at the beginning, it was just literally me and Johnny texting and talking about, well, the, the, it was inspired by this movie that didn't end up being in the book, which is called Primal rage as a monkey movie um and i just loved it because it was like really 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 average like it was really good but like really just like it's italian people making a movie about americans and so it's like it doesn't work but it does you know in this way that just like it was unexceptional in this really is it set in florida is it in florida I or is it, it in southern california uh, okay. i don't remember it has that sheen um, yeah. And it's not particularly even good, but it was kind of amazing. Anyway, um, that was really the, the the jumping off point, and then it didn't end up being in the book. And we just made these lists of of, of uh, six six things because initially it was going to be called thirteen because there were going to be thirteen chapters. And it's texting back and forth. I mean, it, all of this was very organic. The process, quick but organic. And uh, I was texting with Hetty while we were figuring out the book and i was like you know it's called 13 because we're and he was like no that's his joke title and uh and that became and i was like johnny what do you think about because we're and you know you were like yeah and it was just, I, I mean everything in that in this process has been been kind of like that um you know and i, I appreciate that especially the passing the writing back and forth um, yeah i feel like i i was even actually the process i feel like it deepened our friendship with one another which is something that you know i wasn't setting out for that to happen while doing the book but i think that sharing our passions and then just even just being in touch with each other about whatever we were going through at the moment yeah. um it was it was just like a great experience but i mean even just hearing you talk about that experience of being at, at your mother's place and what that might have inspired in you it's like some of the um things that i wrote about were um both yeah my first chapter in the book and then also a later chapter i'm delving into childhood memories of horror films and how vivid they are in terms of you know hitting a, a child's imagination or sort of uh branding you know a kid's psyche because um, there, because horror, because within horror, um, there's, um, you know, I'm still looking for that experience as an adult, but there's something very distinctive where I think that, um, as a kid, uh, everything is really new and, um, the terror sort of, or the horror, the experience reflects that. Whereas, um, when I'm older, it's like, the part that might be, that might have still 
a liveliness to it is um, the way in which it engages experience that I've had over the course of life. You know, um, horror sometimes, you know, I know older adults who don't want to engage horror whatsoever. And I think that might be one of the reasons why. And, uh, but for me, I stick with it. This is a genre that I've had a passion for from when I was a kid to when I was, uh, you know, um, going to college and really studying academic reactions to horror film. And, um, and then, yeah, just throughout um, from, you know, the earliest years to now, just being a fan who reads a lot about the genre. One thing that I really enjoy about um, creating this project together, what I didn't realize until you just said that and looking at it is like, um, you know, like, I think both of us have that kind of studied approach towards horror and like my interest in horror is very much about, oh, I, I, I love genre cinema kind of like through and through or particular ones like soap opera and horror um, because they are some of the most rigid and in the sort of like rigidity of that form you actually um you know in, in my in my day-to-day -day, i i work with avant-garde film which can kind of or an experimental cinema which can kind of be its own be whatever it, it wants to be or whatever the viewer or filmmaker uh, uh intends for that to look like or you know whatever subjectivity they want to convey whereas horror is really very strict a lot of the time in terms of its its um, space and i think like you and i have a really like uh studied understanding of what that means both vis-a-vis -vis, like allegory and um you know horror's ability to sort of sort of rip into societal fears but not really directly address them but kind of indirectly address them and i think like one thing that, that i thought was fun about doing this with you is i actually don't think we kind of like broke that down. I think we kind of like said like, yes, like we understand what we are taking from this, but let's apply that to these personal um, reflections or memories or immediate experiences rather than kind of like tussle about what horror is. And I mean, like, you know, with the witch baby uh, at poem, I had written two uh, essays uh, ch trying to take a stab at um, why I was so obsessed with Dante's Cove. It was something that I watched. And also all of these films are, are, are watched during lockdown. And, and that ends up being a kind of backbone to the book, of course, um, in a way that we'll probably chat about in a second. But, uh, you know, I watched Dante's Cove and I watched the whole thing in like, I think a week or something. Um, and, and there's not that much. It's 686 minutes. Um, but, uh, but I, 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 each essay, I would provide this information and, and, and that wasn't conveying the subject space of my excited, breathy viewership. I wanted to make something that kind of like brought me back to my like gobsmacked, awestruck, in front of trash, but like, it didn't, it doesn't matter, you know, if, if you are aroused emotionally or, and you know, not even really sexually in the case of the show, because everybody's very like, like startlingly conventional, but, um, 
but but just like it, it got in and you know it got in in a bunch of different ways which is what i was trying to address with my poem in terms of like looking at a you know what what i was supposed to be when i was younger and a twink or whatever and 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 what that was you know what my sexuality was meant to look like or what i was being told it looked like by things like queer as folk um but i i couldn't get that tone and then i was texting with a friend um about poetry and i was going to bed and i read a poem by tim blue ghost about watching psycho for the first time and i was like oh my god this is a poem and then i read it as a poem and i texted you maybe even at 2 a.m because i read it, i wrote it between like 2 a.m and 2 45 but i was just like oh my god i think i just wrote a poem what because <laughs> i write like i write film theory and like uh, and 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 um, you know history historiography in, in my primary practice. So I was like, I was so scared because I know that you know I know Eileen Miles. I was afraid of her. She was gonna be like interloper, you know, or something. But uh, but it all worked out. I think. Yeah, I mean, it did all work out. I mean, just even within that piece, it's like I love the Tim Lugos aspect of it because. He was such an experiential poet, just the same way we're talking right now. I think a lot of his poetry was grounded in his experiences, including experiences of engaging with popular culture. And then you tie the, the poem with Baby, which brings up Francesca Lee Block. And, uh, <laughs> yes, she's, it does. She's a quintessential uh, L.A. author in a certain way, too, so it fits in that way. But um, and, and I love hearing... Um, you just talk about the 2 a.m. aspect of it because, um, yeah, it's, you know, past the witching hour. And then on top of it, um, I think that, you know, you alluded to the pandemic. And I could just say for me that uh, <laughs> confessionally, like my sleep patterns have been really haywire during the pandemic. It has something to do with the isolation of the pandemic and the fact that we're all kind of, you know, especially if we're not engaged with um, 40 hour week jobs, we're sort of um, our sense of time, or at least I'll say my sense of time has become very distinct and very different from the way it would be if I was just working a nine to five or something like that. And it's allowed uh, me to um, just do something like this project because um, I, I think there is a distinctiveness in terms of the way in which we write. I, I feel like uh, in some ways, I mean, I've had this at points in, in my um, life as a writer, but I was very almost envious of the way that Bradford could just in a heat of passion write a piece. I'm very, um, when I'm writing nonfiction that isn't based in my own um, stories of, of things that I've gone through, um, when I'm writing this kind of, uh, well, actually, I end up bringing my autobiography into these pieces a lot. But when I'm doing the more critical writing, um, what I have a tendency to fall into is a journalist's perspective, because I was a journalist for so long. And that includes uh, writing to deadline. And it was kind of funny because Bradford knew that the book needed to be done by a certain date and everything. And I sort of plugged away where I would write a piece like every week or so and um but um and i was supposed to be doing that but but i i jumped the gun a little 
<laughs> which is, you know, it was very um, inspiring to me that you jumped the gun. It was motivating, and um, it also gave me some ideas in terms of where I could go with things and um, maybe feel really free in a certain way, because one of the first pieces that Bradford wrote, it brings together the film Messiah and Evil, which we both love, and play it as plays. Um, which is a, a 70s movie as well, you know, based on the Joan Didion novel. So there is a lot of, um, I don't know, literary references within this book as well. But um, yeah, just to like bring you through the chapters, I, I, I think maybe we could both, you know, just say quickly, like, well, what we wrote about it. I wrote about a movie called The Brain That Wouldn't Die that actually contextually, I think, is seen as sort of like a ridiculous movie. It got spoofed by mystery science theater, but I wanted to tap into the more existential aspects of, of the movie uh, because the main character has no body um, and, and is just a very angry head. Um, and then uh, I also wrote about all the horror movies that, or most of the horror movies that begin with the word don't um, in their title, <laughs> just um, with the idea that actually it's almost the opposite within horror movies where if they start with don't, then they're going to be showing you exactly what they say you shouldn't do. Um, I wrote about um, a, a 70s film called The Killing Kind, which was made by Curtis Harrington. And uh, he um, he is like a great Los Angeles figure of both like the Hollywood underground and then the avant-garde underground. And it's sort of like, I think it's an unknown picture um, and I wrote about a movie called Tourist Trap, which is almost like, like an American giallo picture. Um, but, um, and I wrote about Mandy, which is a more recent horror film, but the, the one that has the most pandemic um, aspect, well, the, the, the two that have the most contemporary aspects to them are Mandy because I bring in just the idea of death cults. And we're certainly in an era right now where the idea of the death cult and uh, you know, is very applicable to the political realm and to just um, what's happening in this country at the current moment. And then uh, I wrote about this film called Pulse, um, which is from a director, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, and it came out in 2001. And um, I just wrote a little bit about, uh, well, a lot about how the film is about loneliness and its relationship to technology. And I feel like under the pandemic, we're all, you know, with the um, ascendancy of Zoom and things like that, or just, you know, um, texting one another all the time to overcome uh, feelings of separation. Uh, I just felt it was we, the movie itself was really applicable to what people are going through at the moment. Well, you know, it is funny because, like, uh, Giving this, giving this to people, and like people are starting to receive it in the mail now, um, and people are reading it, and 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 you know, we, I, I think, did we say that we were intentionally not setting out to write a COVID memoir? Yeah, I, I think we. Were. I, I yeah. feel like that was definitely something that I was intentionally like. I was like, I don't want this to be like the. Um, we went through lockdown, and all I got was this book. But I do think, like, um, I do think when I when this first started in March, um, I sat down and I, I had this other project that's like constantly waylaid. Um, and I, I was like, oh, well, I'll write it now. 
and I was writing for like a couple of weeks at the very beginning and I was like this is not coming to me like I am not able to write this and I was talking to a friend of mine who has a lot of HIV activism and he was like duh girl trauma and I was like oh okay so I think for me like what happened and, and probably the reason that this book exists is I switched into a uh, reader mode and I just watched, I think like 400 movies for months. That was all I did because I run a nonprofit that's events-based. And so our, like, basically I don't run a nonprofit right now. So all of a sudden I was just looking at things and not really expressing. And then when we came up with the idea of the thing I think I was just like pent up and I just sort of like tore through and like there were a few things that I already that were pieces that lived in me already and I always like I feel like when I hit the mark when I'm writing I always like think of that like um like a cookie Mueller story where you're just like you've got it in your head and you're just like trying to get it onto the page and with a with a cadence that recalls what it was I don't know why I think it's like a story but you know the way that you could just seamlessly tell a story and 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 um my essay about dead or not that people a uh, death dream was very much that which is a bob clark movie um and it's just this harrowing movie about you know it's it's a quote-unquote allegory about vietnam that takes place that was shot during the vietnam war and it's about loss and it's about death and it's you know it is just heart-wrenching but I wrote it in an hour I just sort of like sat down and it just like came out of me because I love that movie so much and like the ending is so excruciating and beautiful um I I would say like I I had intentions for an article that I wrote about posters um to kind of do a similar thing but I think it kind of um it, it turned out a little differently than I was expecting it becomes more about marketing but um but I wrote about the uh, posters that were hanging in the video rental stores of the late 80s, early 90s and being a child and like reading those images. Um, I wrote about um, my experience watching Scream 4 during lockdown while just on Kedman um, and how that drug allowed for maybe the surface um, and some of the compromises of the screen cast to kind of become worlds together at the surface of the text um, and become this kind of like maudlin world, if you will. Um, I wrote about Witch Baby. Um, and then, yeah, I think one of the centerpieces for me, what I love about the book so much is, is the piece about... Um, is the piece about play it as it lays and Messiah of Evil. Because for me, I love those movies so much. And I'm always joking that Dead People is, or um, Messiah of Evil is alternately titled Dead People. That Messiah of Evil is a remake of Play It As It Lays because it's really about two like white nihilists just sort of like ghosting through life. Like they just both look totally gorgeous and they don't care and they're both really apathetic and they're just like moving through the space but in, in play as it lays it all takes place in the daytime and messiah of evil it all takes place at night so you know there, there is this sort of tonal shift but then like the thing about writing that piece was like i love this movie i love this, that movie but like this that doesn't mean this needs to be an essay what's in here and i sort of just like even in the essay itself i'm like pressing on those two titles 
And then I realized that I'm more interested actually in the people that made the movies and how they were two Jewish couples who worked in the industry in the 1970s and could be intellectual and could be creative and could be weird and could exist within a studio structure. And I just sort of create like a, um, like a, a phantasm of, of a night, a night with Willard Hype, Gloria Katz, Frank and Eleanor Perry, you know, is, is what that um, ends up becoming. And then the final thing that I wrote for this um, was, you know, you're, you're jagging down and you're, you're, you're in your home stretch. And so like the last essay was really like, oh God, what am I going to write about? What am I going to write about? And, you know, I kind of had this idea, that idea, whatever. And then one night on Hulu, um, there was this movie that I'd never seen popped up called Blood Diner. And I hit play and I was, I was already kind of like thinking about an essay about like Claire Denis, I think, and cannibalism. But, um, but then I watched this movie called Blood Diner, which is also about cannibalism. But, uh, and I just was totally blown away. And it was made by a 24 year old um, Asian American woman in 1987. And it was just like, what is this? Um, and, you know, there were ways, and it was an LA movie. And there were ways to tell, tie it into LA punk. And like, you know, one of the last shows that I went to before lockdown happened was um, the Joanna Wint show at the box. And all of a sudden, like the ending of the movie, I'm like seeing um, this sort of like film surrogate for John Sachs, who I associate with the Pyramid Club in New York. And then there's a, like a, a, a screen surrogate for Joanna Wint. And like she kills John Sachs. And then I'm just like, in my own little dream bubble where I'm like looking at these punk icons sort of like destroying one another. <laughs> I mean, which, you know, I have no idea if Jackie Kong like intentionally did that, but I'll, you know, hey, meaning is what you give it, right? Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah, I, yeah, I think, um, I don't know, it brings up a couple different things for me. I mean, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, you were talking um, just about you know, inspiration in terms of drawing together different works. And one of the um, pieces that I wrote, it starts off with um, talking about a, a TV horror host named Sir Graves Gastly in the town that I grew up in, Detroit. And it was only as an adult looking back at him that I realized that he actually did um, a fair amount of drag in his performances and this was for children on Saturday afternoon TV, local TV in the 70s. And um, I just found that there was something really subversive about that that I hadn't recognized when I was younger. But I mean, I, I want to, uh, I guess, also emphasize in a way that um, to me, because horror is also kind of a sexy book, it's like its look is really sexy. I think the work that Hetty um, did for the artwork in particular, it reminds me of this um, book called Chocolate Creams and Dollars by Mohammed Maribet. I mentioned that to him. It resonated for him. But just in the sense that there are these Im images interlaced within the book and they have a neuroticism to them that isn't like completely obvious, I think, but is fused with horror. And um, I was really pleased that that manifested without me even communicating anything about it like Bradford and Hetty are friends but I'm just getting to meet or I just got to meet Hetty over this past weekend and I think the last thing I was also wanting to bring up in terms of um, horror is just uh, kind of like um, that 
it, I don't know, this is swinging it back to the pandemic aspect again, but uh, I think one of the things, I, I could be wrong, but um, one of the things that might have set Brad for thinking about this project was, you know, on social media, there was a point where I was kind of just like really diving into Horace Jones, and this is early, you know, in, you know, March, April, um, I, I would dive into the most ridiculous B-movie horror, B-horror movies that I um, hadn't seen yet, and um, just kind of, like, find some dark humor in them, and um, it, it, we were just conversing by text today, and it's just the idea that um, the, the, the pandemic itself is horrifying, but then at the same time, horror, and, and Bradford can speak to this more, but like there's a complexity between that relationship or lack of relationship. And then at the same time, I think that horror movies, you know, provide an escape at this present moment. I know they have for me. Yeah, I mean, like, it, the, you know, that's one thing that horror really does. Um, I think in this way, it, it, uh, it's, it's like a, it's like a, ride it's like a, a roller coaster and it it takes you out of your present and even like I, I think one of the things that's really interesting about horror in this particular moment is it can take you out it can even be commenting on what we're going through like watching a movie like host which takes place in a zoom call uh takes you out of your present space and puts you into a screen surrogate kind of role so that the horror becomes uh, more, not necessarily muted, but narrativized, so that it's not like you know something that you're going through, but but it's it's a bit dissociative, but in a way that actually has a kind of working through process that I think is really uh, you know in some ways productive, in some ways um, it's it's escapist entertainment, um, but I think that you know I, one of the things if I were to say. I felt bad about anything about this lovely book that we pulled together. It's like, it's all like super duper like B movies and like <laughs> movies. And like people are like, oh, what movies do you talk about? And I'm like, uh, have you ever heard of Mandy? I'm like, that's yeah. probably the most like mainstream movie in here. It's like Mandy or Street mm -hmm. Four, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I think that's actually good because then. It, even if people aren't familiar with the titles that we're talking about in this, then that just becomes like a lens, you know, and it, 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 it you know, becomes a sort of generative tool um, to, you know, I don't think that people reading the book need to have like seen the movies that we're talking about even necessarily, but, you know, it's sort of just like a winding through uh, ideas of spectatorship ideas of authorship, because I think, you know, we really did try different approaches within each of these um, essays, uh, stories, whatever they are, uh, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, it was really funny to do a horror book right now, um, but it also, we didn't think too hard about any of the steps that we just took. We just were really like on the same page almost the entire time, well, the entire time, not almost. Yeah. Um, and, and just said, uh, horror. And you were like, yeah. You know, and then I was like, I was like, well, you tried six in six weeks. And you're like, yeah. You know, it's just like that, you know. Um, and I really appreciated that. Um, and, and, and one thing that I really liked about it too, that I'll, I'll throw in and we should probably wrap up soon, but 
um, is, you know, as a start, we were kind of like tossing in, or I started tossing in some like unpublished stuff of mine from the past that I was like, well, you know, this never found a home. Um, and I, I really appreciate that we were like, uh -uh. like, this is all about the present. And this is all about going through this experience. You know, I, we didn't want to write the COVID memoir, but we kind of wrote the COVID memoir in a kind of like uh, under, uh, under what is it called? Subtweet kind of way, um, you know, where we're not, uh, it's, it, it is, it skims every surface of each of these essays, I would say in a way, but it doesn't delve into it too deeply. It delves into different sorts of ideation and subjectivity and, and ideas of viewership um, and, and, and the writing of personal memory through spectatorship. And, and, you know, I think that's an interesting way of talking about a time when you can't leave the house or a time when most of your experiences are done through screens, be they, you know, the Zoom call that we're on right now or, uh, you know, the movies that I'll watch when I hang up the Zoom call. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I would just close with saying that I really appreciated the spontaneity of this book. Um, and we dedicated it. Uh, we dedicated it to G.B. Jones, who's just kind of like an iconic figure of the zine. Um, revolution who also has made a lot of fantastic art and um, I think we just want to you know it's like most dedications it it stems from like a great fondness for the person um, but you know Bradford was talking about uh, that um, we didn't that we the pieces that we covered film wise tended to run towards the obscure B movie but there's always the space for because for two or uh, whatever um, other title you might want to come up with it. And, you know, there might be space within that to tackle some um, legends of the horror genre and maybe give a different take on them from what uh, people might expect. Ooh, counter readings. That sounds so exciting. <laughs> I'm ready for a whole series of these. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can make them really fast. Thank you both so much. I mean, this, this conversation hit on so many of the things that I've been thinking about. Um, and yeah, particularly, I was finding it strange that I had become so attracted to horror in the last couple of months. And what you're saying about, you know, being able to mediate all of the real life horror through film as a way of coping that really hit home for me. Um, because yeah, like I'm doing my day-to-day -day job right now and I'm trying to act like everything's normal. And then after work, all I want to do is watch people get ripped apart. <laughs> so. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that was when it like, basically every, like during this whole pandemic, and I think like even when we were writing um, and, and would be sharing ideas or thoughts or, or just feelings, um, I say to every single person, and I'm like really clear, I'm like, none of this is normal. And we have to stop pretending like it is. So whatever whatever your need or whatever your response is in this moment is completely valid. You know, and we need to be nice people to one another. But like, if you have these feelings that it, this is not a normal moment, we cannot ever pretend like this is a normal moment. So allow yourself the space to, you know, feel all that stuff. But I, I feel like that was like important, just touching base with, 
with people during this. But yeah, who knew it would give us a book? <laughs> well, it's fantastic. And it was such a pleasure to hear you both talk about this collaboration. Um, it's, it's, it seems like a really magical project to work on. And, and now that it's out in the world, that must feel really good. So congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, it was, it's really exciting to have people hold it and look at it. Well, is there anything else either of you would like to mention or plug before we say our goodbyes? Um, well, Johnny was just in town because we were shooting um, a video reading, um, which should be, uh, I think it will be up the week of Halloween um, via the Roxy Cinema in San Francisco, um, where we read a couple of different pieces from the book with visual sort of like illustrations um, projected behind us. So it's like a it, multimedia, you know, I mean, how the hell do you do a reading now? I guess like you've asked yourself that question maybe once or twice in Skylight, but um, you know, we were like, we just wrote a book about movies. How do we do this? You know, so we did something. And, and um, a dear, dear friend of mine held out um, with that, Michael Robinson, he's a very talented filmmaker. So. Um, looked for that. That would be very fun. And then there's like, you know, other little surprises that will be published here and there of excerpts or whatever um, from this. But also just get this because it's fun and scary and seasonal. Yes. Yes. You're here. Get it from Skylight. We're going to have someone on hand for you. Um, Johnny, anything else you want to say? Um, I think Bradford really covered it. Um, it was Bradford's birthday yesterday, and I was really happy to celebrate it with him. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday, Bradford. Thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm a spooky baby. <laughs> I guess the one last thing, it, just because it's literary related, is that um, there was also, in addition to uh, a love for G.B. Jones, um, we both have had just great love for Kevin Killian and he figures within the book. That's true. You know, we didn't, we didn't dedicate this to Kevin, but Kevin kind of runs throughout and I, and was it the time that I, I think as a coda, like part of the influence was I was visiting uh, San Francisco and staying with Johnny, I think when I was helping to organize Kevin Killian's memorial service um, for Doty with Doty, uh, Bellamy. And, uh, and I was staying with you and I looked at, this was like, this is probably when the book started. I was staying with you and I looked at your DVD collection or your book collection. And I was just like, uh, do you know we have the exact same taste? Like it was like, it looked like my DVD collection. And I was just like, okay, like there's something here. So yeah, I mean, like, I think, you know, the, the book is dedicated to GB because we love GB and I think, uh, no, well, I mean, we do love GB, but we knew that GB would love the book. But I do think also the bones of the book are the community that Kevin Killian built. There is yeah. a community that Kevin Killian built. And we wouldn't know one another if, if Kevin yeah. wasn't, you know. Yeah, and it's funny, I just really quickly want to say that it was the exact same experience for me. I saw Bradford's apartment for the first time um, in full, uh, when we were making these movies over the weekend, and he had gorgeous posters of all the movies that are in my pantheon, my absolute favorites, which is just like, I was just like, wow, <laughs> about it. Our, our tastes are really similar in a way that, it, like, it's just wonderful, so. 
Well, I look forward to more collaborations from you both. Thank you so much for this hey. opportunity. Yeah, You're thank very you. welcome. All right, we'll say our goodbyes. Catch you on the flip side, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.